Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Multi-instrumentalist, producer, and composer Doug Stewart grew up outside of Chicago. His early education began in jazz clubs and festivals as a teenager, frequenting sessions with Jeff Parker, Fred Anderson, Nicole Mitchell, and other members of the AACM. Left exceedingly inspired, he continued on to do the jazz program at the University of Michigan, studying bass under Detroit jazz royalty Robert Hurst and Jerry Allen, where he deepened his practice in jazz and contemplative studies. Now based out of Oakland and Los Angeles, Doug collaborates within many jazz, hip-hop, and experimental music scenes. His works include compositions for the NPR podcast Snap Judgment, along with co-writes and production with various groups including Brigine, Bells Atlas, Myrna, Luke Temple, and Jay Stone. I caught up with Doug on the heels of his recently released solo record, Familiar Future, and his just-released track, Ocean, with Brigine on Ghostly Records. We spoke about his jazz education, adjusting to not playing live in quarantine, contemplative studies, some of his favorite live shows, and much more. The track you're hearing now is from Doug's solo record. Here's our conversation. side of the world <laughs> but i'm glad to talk to you for a little while because i need to turn off oh yeah all this insanity man i mean it's it's a lot totally yeah it's it's chaos i mean especially yesterday are you immersing yourself in it um no honestly i've been i've been uh tapering my intake for the most part um wise very wise <laughs> yeah it's like Partially out of uh, just circumstance, um, Brigine and I are staying uh, in New Mexico right now, and we have pretty limited Wi-Fi cell phone reception. Nice, um, which is a pain in so many ways, but uh, has been a a good break in this time because it just kind of makes your intake a little more intentional, which has been good. Yeah. 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 No, I think I remember when you used to travel and, and Wi-Fi was a must and you had to like go somewhere that was on the grid and you oh, yeah. to do. And now it's like, if you can find a place that doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's a luxury. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this, yeah, it's been, it's been good. It's been an interesting adjustment for us because we both are, uh, yeah, like working on different things and trying to send media back and forth is 
a real pain, but as far as unplugging goes, yeah, serious luxury, um, that yeah. I haven't been used to in a long time. So it's been good. Well, and you're, are you writing or is the stuff already written at this point? For, um, like, are you, are you in like in the studio in the sense of like, you're, or are you always coming up with stuff? Um, or were you, cause you have a new album that's going to be releasing soon, right? Yeah. With Brigine. Yeah. Yeah. We have an album that's coming yeah. out in February and that that's been done for a little while. Um, so yeah, we finished that last February, about a year ago. Um, yeah. And we've been working a little bit on some new stuff together and I've been writing some stuff for a new, uh, solo record. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a pretty productive time being, uh, being a little more, um, just remote, you know, in general. Um, yeah. Yeah. Isolated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For writing, I think that could probably be a good thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Just being off the grid. Yeah. I did a residency once in Maine that was in the middle of nowhere. And this nice. was actually, you know, when the internet was still kind of, you know, it, it wasn't blazing, you know? Uh-huh. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, totally. It would take you a while to, to load sites and stuff. But, you know, there was yeah. still Amazon and stuff that you would order things. Yeah. But there was only one computer at this residency in the main sort of uh, administrative office, which mm-hmm. is tiny. And you had to, like, sign up for a half an hour on it or something. Amazing. So, basically, you were just – there was, and the smartphones weren't smart. It was just a cell phone. So, you were pretty much, you know, left to your creative devices. And it's really good to, to be – you know, just off the grid and just making stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just like limiting your, uh, not only distractions, but just kind of like, um, involuntary input or stuff that you're just kind of absorbing by, by way of having access to it all the time and, you know, checking in. Uh, it's so nice to, to not have all that outside noise when you're trying to be creative even though it can be inspiring. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting to be of a generation where you see the transition of choice-based exploration of mm. stimulus in, in, in media and mm-hmm. then just the bombardment. Like I feel like now, you know, with my son, who's a teenager, it's just a filtration process. You know what mm. I mean? It's like, what will I let in? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like all this stuff knocking on the door, you know? Totally. Yeah, I can't imagine having to negotiate that as uh, both a teenager and a, a father you know just trying to figure out what the and that filter looks like and how you put it in out. a pandemic yeah in a <laughs> pandemic come on oh man it's a blast yeah i bet <laughs> but you know it's funny because i i'm constantly paralleling you know um sort of art and music and mm-hmm. when i think about music and that kind of it's the same thing, really. I think it's a matter of what you're letting in the door because now we have, you can listen to anything totally. immediately. Yeah. You know? And, you know, when I was growing up, it was like you go to the record store, your taste in music were filtered by the records that were at the store mm-hmm. or your buddies and what they were playing yep. on their records. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or the basement shows that were coming through town. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't just like everything at once, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have an older brother who's five and a half years older, 
who was largely responsible for my like initial uh, taste in music, you know, in middle school. Yeah. And it was like what he listened to combined with what was on the radio, which wasn't all that different, but he had like slightly more like grungy tastes and, and like some stuff that I couldn't hear on the radio. And then there was yeah. like the public library when I started getting into jazz, right, that right. was like a huge resource to just like go and be like, cool, who's Eric Dolphy? I guess I'll check this out, you know? And like, and yeah, then, yeah. then there was like the one independent music and video rental place in the, the part of the suburb of Chicago that I grew up in. So like all those yeah. combined and then like a couple good friends who are still good friends and people who are always hipping me to stuff. But yeah, the whole like curated listening is so, um, so much less personal. It's really cool in a lot of ways. Like I've definitely yeah. found awesome things, uh, streaming like a algorithmic station that I wouldn't have otherwise found. But as far as like Completely. making yeah. that connection and having it be as deep of a experience is it's, doesn't seem to happen as often for me. Yeah, I think that's the change, right? Yeah. It's 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 not a better or worse thing. It's just back then it's kind of a bummer because you're only exposed like that guy, Jim or whoever worked at that indie record store, yeah. your taste was kind of shaped by <laughs> yeah. by you know what he's bringing in. Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way growing up like my parents, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And we there just wasn't like a multicultural food cuisine thing. And plus, you know, back then it was less. Now it's like foodie is like a thing. But, yeah. you know, it took me to go into college and yeah. then to travel to figure out like, wow, all this amazing food. Same thing with music or yeah. art. It's yeah. like, you know, until you hit New York or until you hit, you know, a big city that's got all this stuff going on, you're just kind of, you know shaped by what's around you but maybe there's something really good about you have to dig you know to find that yeah but i think you know grow if i could grow up now and seeing my son and all the music that he has in his ears from such an early age is so amazing and i think that's why to be honest sometimes you'll see on social media or you'll see these kids who are just savants or like they have this eclectic taste you have like a 12 year old producing something in his bedroom that's informed by like <laughs> reggaeton and like you know Indian sitar, you know, like yeah. all this stuff. It's pretty cool. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Like just access to everything and anything you're both aware of and could just come stumbling in, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's gonna, um, is already churning out some really interesting stuff, you know, like you're saying, like, yeah, for sure. Just these prodigious Did you, kids. Um, so you grew up south of Chicago, like how uh, far from the city? Not uh, north of, of Chicago, actually, uh, about an oh, hour, north, yeah, hour and a half outside of the city in this uh, yeah. quaint little suburb called Libertyville, um, which like sounds patriotic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> culturally was uh, really different than Chicago in a lot of ways, but still had a, a metro line that went straight there. Yeah. So you know, having having the city there and being able to go check out some music, like it, the places that would let underage people in and just having, you know, like just kind of that bedrock of music and art in the peripheral was 
definitely super informative for me. Um, especially yeah, getting, it's just that it just has to be on the horizon, right? Yeah, Not too far away. Like yeah. just you can access it. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, and I mean Chicago in particular has some great like uh, summer festivals that are open to everybody, and just like you know music in the streets and um yeah i feel super lucky to have been close to that at a young age what a great music town i mean the roots you know just like i i I think maybe in high school i started getting into the blues Mm -hmm. just there was a station in pittsburgh that played like i think it was like late nights on sundays or something but they played you know like mississippi delta the old stuff you know yeah and I remember listening to that at nighttime and I was, it just felt right, you know? Yeah. And then when you st- sort of study that stuff or, or see the progression of it through up the Mississippi and then you learn about the Chicago, kind of like how they took it and, you know, energized it. It's such a, a rich history, you know, that I'm sure you couldn't help but be, you know, exposed to in one shape or way, you know? Yeah, totally. I feel like I didn't... um I didn't really dig that deep into the blues until like college, actually, like after I had kind of left Chicago. Um, yeah. But it was around in in the form that it is now or 20 years ago. Um, you know, like kind of that more electric, like modern shuffle version. Uh, right. And then I think in college, I, I started, I had a teacher who was like, you've never checked out Robert Johnson, <laughs> you know, just kind of like, <laughs> like, what are you doing, you know? So that I, yeah, I yeah. like, uh, you know, started digging a little deeper and, and seeing like where that music came from and, and seeing some of the other extensions of it, um, both like the West Coast, uh, like West Coast blues, like Lowell Folsom and charles brown stuff like that and yeah just yeah yeah, that i feel like it for me as a kid growing up it was definitely more of a subconscious thing though and kind of i always liked it and i I loved the musicianship but it wasn't like a deep affection straight away took me a little longer to yeah yeah you had to you had to go back into it (laughs) yeah it's like yeah yeah and uh I did that with jazz. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't know it. I had to back into it, you know what I mean? It came later on. Uh-huh. I just didn't I grew up with Motown with my dad. I always listened to Motown cool. stuff, you know, cuz he yeah. was in the army and awesome. that's what they listened to. Yeah. So he brought that. Beautiful. And uh I think that kind of wires you yeah. a certain way when you hear all that stuff, you know, the yeah. stuff you're exposed to when you're little. You may not like it for the rest of your life, but if you grow up on classical, yeah. There's going to be some some wiring there that just understands complexity and that kind of beauty, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that like those early influences, um, subconscious, like musical imprints are really strong. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for me, a lot of that was like, honestly, like there was some Motown and soul, but like a lot of like classic rock from my dad and like, 90s hip-hop and grunge you know a lot of stuff that uh that i don't check in with that much today but i still have a strong affinity for and like a and i can appreciate in a intellectual way but also just like 
in a nostalgic way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that nostalgia. I think it's different too with, with music, since it's something you feel, there's something within you, like the resonance of those rhythms or something that I think it's like a nostalgia of, of kind of experience where maybe art is a little more removed. There's one mm. layer of removal through like the imagery and association with that. But uh-huh. like if you, if someone puts on at a bar on the jukebox, like Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak, <laughs> you're going to yeah. feel it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're, Definitely. if you live that, yeah. it's something happens in you physically. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but you know. Yeah, it's so true. You're going to yeah. move. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like you're always experiencing songs that you know from a different perspective but at the same time hearkening back to that original time in your life when it connected with you it's kind of an interesting right. um yeah well i think i'm, I'm sure psychologically psych, psychologists study that like you're like the experiences we have as adults we we you know those are mitigated by like our experience as a kid somehow it's just yeah. all related you yeah know? And when you perform music, that feeling you get, you know, in what well, no one can just really verbalize what that is when you play sounds and people are standing there and they feel it. There's something in that that it must come from just this primal one need for connection when you're a kid or something, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I think that just feeling that reciprocal exchange is something really deep rooted in our biology, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, not, it's not the same with art, but also humans have been making art, you know, visual art for such a long time. There's like something so innately human about it. Um, yeah. Cave paintings. Yeah. From the beginning, you know? Yeah. We're, I told you we're out, we're out in New Mexico now and we've been doing this hike near our house and there's all these pictographs on the um, on this like canyon walls and we're always like wow like, it's so crazy people have been making art for so long yeah definitely yeah 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 you see like Machu Picchu and shit like that and you're just like what yeah like, this yeah. has been yeah. you know <laughs> Or Stonehenge, like people were moving stuff around and making pictures from from the jump, you know. Amazing, man. Yeah, it's just language, you know. Yeah, music language, art language, you know, sure. and language language. It's just different modes of expression. Yeah. Were your parents musical, or like was the music in the house? Is that where? Um, where does it come from? Not terribly. Like they they uh, they liked music. They appreciated it. They wouldn't go out and see live music too often, but occasionally. Um, my dad had like a huge record collection that, uh, is really, um, it just has, I have a soft spot in my memory for that. Cause I can, those are some of my most formative early experiences consciously just, but they, they didn't play. Um, they did, uh, want my brother and I to be into music. So they, um, they had us take piano lessons from a pretty, pretty young age from around five. How'd that go? Um, I, into it? I didn't take to it, but again, like we were saying earlier, it's just like, I know it informed so much about how I hear music and understand it, um, that I'm so appreciative that that happened, but yeah, I wasn't that into it. I wanted to like, I just didn't have the patience and focus yet to like sit down and practice and understand like 
discipline and, you know, see the things that could be ahead. Um, that's a tall order. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) Especially, you know, I think, uh, yeah, just, uh, it just didn't click with me, but I didn't, you know, hate it or anything. It just, I wasn't obsessed. I, I was more into like sports and playing outside and just, you know, yeah. Kid stuff kid stuff yeah <laughs> but uh yeah, i felt the same way i had i had piano lessons for a minute mm-hmm. and my piano teacher was so weird yeah <laughs> he was this frail guy who was uh i would we would go to his house and it was his he lived with his mother who you never saw she was up it reminded me of, like the bates hotel or something it was just oh, a bad man. scene that's man. creepy <laughs> it, it made me not want to do piano ever you know and to this day i still i'm terrible at piano and i i have like i play guitar and i play horns but i can't play the piano i just can't do the left right thing yeah on the piano yeah and i i, I think it's like post-traumatic stress from those <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like yeah i i mean i teach a, a little bit and just having to teaching is hard man especially teaching little kids and yeah. uh, I just have a lot of respect for people who that is like their thing. And I think there's a lot of people who te- end up teaching little kids who it's not their thing. And, you know, <laughs> because of it, <laughs> the kids yeah, think yeah. that music's not their thing, you know. But um, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Imagine if all the musicians you went to see live it wasn't their thing. They're just doing it to pay the bills. Like you'd be a lot less interested in music or whatever. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, but yeah. Th- well, when did you pick it back up? Um, so let's see. I, I took lessons till I was like nine or 10. And then in middle school, uh, we had an orchestra program and a jazz program and, um, again, with the strong encouragement of my parents, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll play upright bass. Cause I can do that. And I remember nice. seeing like the school jazz band and being like that, that would be cool. I could play electric bass in the band. And, uh, yeah. So that was kind of my, I don't know, uh, intro to, to like another instrument. And again, it, it wasn't love at first, but, um, around the time I was a freshman in high school, I, I think my brother had gone to college, so I was a little bit more left to my own devices, and uh, I just found a home there in the music program with yeah. all the band geeks, you know, and um, just got really into like practicing. We had like I had a garage band with a couple friends, and we'd like write songs and play Zeppelin covers, and also listen to Miles Davis. It was it was pretty like all over the place, but definitely the start of a, of a long love affair. <laughs> so, yeah. But were you at that time in high school, were you getting some social like perks from being in a band or like, were you <laughs> identifying with that part of it at all? Uh, I think, you know what I mean? Cause, or did you, did I, you ditch sports? I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of like, well, I didn't ditch sports, but I, I like, I was like not that good at sports. <laughs> it's like, Okay, the jazz band needs a bass player. Nobody needs like a slow, <laughs> short kid who can't really, like, you know, make a basket. Um, right. But yeah, it was kind of, I don't know, it felt, I think it, there's definitely a social element to it. Um, I didn't, I don't feel like I was getting like 
tons of perks from it, but it felt like I like had friends in music and it felt yeah. like a similar to a team in a way, you know, like just like that camaraderie and that, uh, you know, you're all like into this one thing that not everybody's into. So there's, there's definitely an inclusion aspect there. Right. And yeah. did it just build an intensity by the time you're ready to graduate high school? What was the plan? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started taking private lessons, bass lessons in high school and started getting really into jazz. We had a, um, uh, a couple like really good music teachers at my school, um, an orchestra director and a band director. And they were both really encouraging and like, um, you know, constantly kind of showing, like sharing stuff that they liked and they were passionate about stuff to listen to stuff to check out. And, uh, the people, the kids I started a garage band with were all in the jazz band. So we kind of like slowly changed to pretty much only playing, you know, jazz songs and standards and putting things in that kind of a lens. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we, we all just kind of like grew together, checking out different corners of, of that landscape. Um, and then when I got, I think around like junior year in high school, my teacher, my private teacher was like, you know, you should, you should think about going to music school. And I was pretty into the idea and, um, took a few auditions for different music schools and ended up, ended up going to the university of Michigan. They gave me like a really great scholarship that made it, um, like a super clear choice. And I was, I had a, right. a good friend who was already attending the school. So, um, yeah, I ended up going to school there and studying, I was in the classical program and the jazz program for a little bit, um, and ended up just finishing, uh, with a degree in jazz and contemplative studies, which is like a weird little niche that, um, sounds intriguing. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a really cool program, um, that, uh, like combined, you know, like your standard jazz curriculum with, um, these things called contemplative practice seminar, which was like, a class that the jazz program started, but, um, by nature had people from all different schools. So there's a lot of like business school kids in it and some engineers and, um, liberal arts. And the class was basically just open dialogue about, uh, like you would have like a group meditation and then like a, like a meditation journal. And, uh, the teacher would walk us through like, a number of different practices and we would just have dialogue about our experience. It was pretty crazy that that was happening. Cool. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I thought it was great. And I didn't, I don't think I've, I had really fully processed how valuable that was to just like life skills, um, until kind of right. recently. And talking you know, it's funny because a lot, I feel like a lot of art courses where, you know, I teach, you know, regular painting classes and mm -hmm. then I'll do a critical issues like, a, you know, a kind of contemporary seminar mm -hmm. where you just basically 
meeting and talking about what's going on. And, you know, those, I think those are so important. Absolutely. It's just like room to, to think outside of like that rigid structure that students seem to really love and, and, you know, something opens up in those classes, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think especially for, I think for any discipline, it's just helpful to kind of like get outside of that framework to deepen your understanding of what you're doing in there and like, um, you know, just getting a broader perspective. I think especially with music, like when you're in school for music, it can, I don't know about how it is for art, but it can often feel like so different or like so separate from actually making music with feeling and you can get like hyper technical and, uh, it just feels like the focus shifts from that um, kind of visceral reaction that you originally had to music and the things that you fell in love with. For me anyway, I I started to feel like what, you know, music school is so, it's so hard to like uh, catch the feeling of music sometimes, you know, and I'm just in this practice room practicing my scales and, and I think uh, these contemplative practice seminars were a kind of a cool way to zoom out and be like, well, what what is your mind doing when you're going to that state where you're playing and you're like not thinking anymore? And how is that similar to meditation? And, you know, I don't know. It was just a it always felt like a breath of fresh air after like, you know, yeah. all my hard-nosed theory and music school stuff (laughs) right right yeah well i think that yeah and that it depends where you go to school too because some i'm sure some programs like with art some programs are more academic yeah and but i do think a lot a lot more programs veer on the side of you know what are you trying to express and not so much i mean there is some basics that are instructed but it's not like you know a trade school where it's just like you, unless it's specific schools. But I'm curious about that as far as the education is concerned of something like jazz. Like if you're going to study jazz, jazz music, while you can transcribe and and be academic about it, it was a music that was created out of exploration and breaking down sort of, you know, uh, conventional structures as it's freedom of expression, uh, mostly through like the black experience in this country. And, you know, whereas classical music is transcribed and it's separated, I think you learn that, you perform it. And mm-hmm. with jazz, it's about that expression. I always think, you know, jazz nowadays isn't just the jazz, you know, like bebop or post-bop or whatever. I th- Personally, I feel like jazz has migrated, or the idea of jazz has migrated into a lot of like electronic stuff for things that are blending and it's pushing it. Because jazz was always about the avant-garde and it was it seems odd to sort of capsulate it into this thing that you just study. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, totally. So I wonder how that works educationally. You know, like I, I watched a guy, my my son plays jazz trombone. Uh-huh. And I watched, we were watching a guy on YouTube yeah. doing J.J. Johnson solos. Yeah. And he was transcribing them and talking about them. Yeah. And it was great, but it also felt like it was neutering yeah. the beauty of, of his playing. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think it's a tricky line to walk. Like I couldn't agree more that like to encapsulate jazz in this like 
small bubble and be like, this is what it is. And like kind of treat it like a classical music, uh, in that way, um, feels like it's kind of taking the feeling out of it and the exploration and the, the push to create something new. But I do think to access those parts of the art, like that avant-garde, uh, just like pushing the envelope, you, you know, it's, you do have to learn where it's coming from and there's so much to break down and so much, uh, just like technical stuff to, to check out in order to kind of get a feel for it. So you have an approach. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really tricky. Uh, I, I think, um, the program I was in just my own experience, I, I think they did a really good job in a lot of ways of, um, emphasizing what the roots were and making sure that you at least were exposed to them and had a, some kind of grasp on them. And, and also there was a lot of encouragement to write and, uh, just do like express whatever version of that you felt compelled to, um, which for me felt really fruitful. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's, I think it's a really hard thing to shape. And I, uh, I think trying to get more people, uh, who have actually lived some of that history, which is, you know, getting harder and harder because as time goes on, more and more of them are passing. Um, but that was another thing that U of M did really well. I mean, they had like Jerry Allen there and Bob Hurst and Donald Walden. These people who, you know, grew up in Detroit playing with masters for most of their lives. And I feel really lucky to have gotten to spend a little bit of time with them and just kind of soak some of that up. Um, Yeah. I think when you're in school, that's such a inspiration, right? Seeing that live. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another advantage for music. You don't really get that with art. I guess, we took yeah. our, we would take trips to New York, you uh-huh. know, and you would see stuff which is, you know, different. I remember when I was in grad school, um, Kenny Burrell came and did the Duke Ellington concert series. Whoa, Man. that's so cool! Such a legend, you know? yeah. But but I don't know if you feel this way. It was such an honor, like it's such an amazing experience. But I almost wished you could see him in his prime because he was definitely just doing the thing. But it wasn't like. You know, that energy. Yeah. You felt, you know what I mean? It's so different. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a different feeling seeing someone of that generation, maybe, especially probably when you you said you're in high school. No, that was grad school. Oh, grad school. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was was much older. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing somebody of that generation as opposed to, you know, seeing like, Robert Glasper or somebody, you know, like somebody who's just like, on Kamasi. The, yeah, Kamasi on just like on the yeah. precipice of, of what is new. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. That's cool though. Kenny Burrell. So when, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, 
Yeah, we should talk a little later about all the, the best shows we've seen. <laughs> Been lucky to, I mean, you know, living in New York for 22 years now, I mean, it, not so much. I, I don't go out to see, see live music as much as I used to. Well, now no one does. But yeah, of I mean, yeah, of course. You know, when I first moved here. Yeah. It was gangbusters, man. I mean, it was, it's, it, again, it's a, it's like a uh, embarrassment of riches. It's like, if you don't look at, if I didn't look at time out, I didn't know who I was going to miss that week. Right. You know? But you could go see some amazing shows. I, yeah, just some good stuff. Yeah. So, well, getting back to you, once you graduated, what was the plan after you, so oh. you got a degree <laughs> in music? Yeah. Or did the you plan. leave before you graduated? No, no, I got a degree. Uh, the plan was very vague. Um, I was kind of torn between going to New York and trying to, uh, pursue a, you know, whatever a career looked like for a jazz musician or, uh, my good friends who I had the band with in high school were like, we're going to go to San Francisco. You know, we have some friends out there and I had some good friends living in Oakland from Michigan. Um, it kind of come to the conclusion that maybe New York just, I had visited a number of times and loved it, but just maybe wasn't the best fit for my personality. So I just knew I wanted to experience something other than the Midwest for at least a little while and, um, knew that I wanted to be playing music and, you know, keep writing and kind of finding myself in music. Um, so yeah, the plan was, move to the Bay area and figure out what the plan is. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I moved out to the Bay 10 years ago, uh, to mm-hmm. Berkeley and was like slinging coffee and going to jam sessions and going to hear music. And then within a short while had like fallen into enough kind of like, you know, just, gigs like restaurant bar you know jazz shows just that like it was able to cobble enough work together to feel okay about making rent so I could quit my my coffee job and uh and just focus on my my music and at at that point I was um I was working, I started working a lot with this singer, uh, Sandra Lawson and do, and we started a band together called Bell's Atlas. Um, Mm -hmm. so I was putting a lot of time into like, just like writing with that group in addition to, you know, playing a bunch of like improvised music and straight ahead jazz and just kind of all over the place. I just did and still do just love collaborating and playing and all different types of contexts um always feels yeah, really f- kind of collaging it together right yeah Just yeah doing I, it how you can do it when you can do it exactly yeah it's like you know i think partially out of necessity trying to like be a freelance musician and pay bills you kind of just have to like do everything you can and then yeah definitely partially out of the spirit of just liking a lot of different music and uh, wanting to learn from a lot of different music. And I think, um, again, like being in Chicago at a young age and kind of checking out a lot of like uh, the scenes that were like the jazz musicians 
and the like free improvising musicians and post rock like where all those worlds came together to me was always really inspiring like tortoise and isotope 217 like pretty much anything jeff parker was involved with was kind of like a really early profound influence to me because i think throughout all my time in college and like and times like when i'd visit new york i would notice a, a lot of people had like much more narrow scopes of how you know the music they're involved with which i think is yeah really deep and cool too but i was always more attracted to just kind of finding the places between those strict avenues right yeah were you in school whenever that the whole chicago thing was going on uh in um well i was talking early early or mid to late 90s i was so i was in like middle school and i i kind of came across jeff parker in high school he actually was doing like a few gigs here and there at this one like steakhouse in Evanston that would like randomly <laughs> let minors into. It was like one of the few places I could go to see like jazz when it wasn't at a festival that would, cause I serve food. Um, so yeah. I would always go hear him there. And then, you know, my friends and I would just be like, what, who is this guy? And, you know, just kind of, not like we weren't on the scene or anything, but we were digging into it, you know, kind of after it, it had matured, I guess, and finding tortoise and all those side projects. And yeah, that stuff has always been really influential to me. Yeah. I wonder, it's funny in thinking about that era now and Mm -hmm. how people look back at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's seen having lived through it, but you know, I remember being in college and going to see those shows with five style and, and, you know, like those group bills of like tortoise and stuff. And we would, we would go from Philly to Jersey to, you know, uh, Pittsburgh to Cleveland and follow them to see those oh, shows because cool. the live, the live show was so good and it was so different. I mean, the recordings are great, but then you would see, them moving around on different instruments. It was just a really exciting kind of show and, and yeah. music that was coming out. Yeah. I don't even know how it's reflected on now. It's, it's kind of thing where, you know, I'm sure like people who grew up going to Woodstock or seeing like Jimi Hendrix play, you know, like how do yeah. you hear that now having lived through it? It's such a specific like relationship to it, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's like impossible to separate the, the s- statement from your experience you got my memory jogging and I was like, I remember the first time I saw a tortoise at this tiny, like busted rock club in Ann Arbor and just being so <laughs> floored by exactly what you're describing, just the energy and, you know, everybody in that band plays so many instruments and it it was just amazing. So inspiring. Yeah. Very unique too. It was not a lot of band. I mean, cause you could tell these guys were like coming out of, you know, a, a sort of post-punk vibe. They all look like they would be in June of 44 or something, yeah, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> like Those were the the basement shows you were seeing, but then all of a sudden there's like these basement, or not basement shows, but you know, the same sort of vibe, but these guys were playing like 
they obviously knew what they were doing and then adding a different vibe to it. I remember going to see them in Cleveland and, and just before they were going on, they were playing this really great drum and bass. And at that point, like I, I didn't really know drum and bass. Well, you uh-huh. know? I was like, what the hell is this? This sounds so good, you know? And yeah. then that, that opened up a whole, you know, like that, that opened up dub. It opened up all these other genres that I didn't really know that much about, you know? Yeah. It's kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Super revolutionary in a lot of ways, even, even still, um, just such a unique kind of like sound that's easily identifiable. You're like, Oh, that's, you know, that's definitely tortoise. Not a lot of bands have that, especially instrumental bands. Definitely for sure. So, um, were you, when you were out in San Francisco, I mean, were you, was the session stuff session stuff? Are you like sight reading and just grabbing like a sheet of music and playing along with people? Or was it more, uh, a little more like friends of friends? Hey, can you jam with us? It was kind of everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would, there's like a handful of just like straight ahead jazz sessions that I would frequent, um, you know, just like playing standards and that's still like an art form and expression that is just like has so much depth to it for me. Um, it's, it's not one that I feel comfortable. Like I wouldn't call myself a jazz musician in that way. Um, but I enjoy it a lot. Uh, so that, and it, and it's community, you know, it's like a moving there and not knowing that many people, it felt like a, a good way to just get to know people and and kind of see what was going on um but then yeah there were also sessions uh just at people's houses like improvising um there's a huge not huge but uh a really great like free improvised music scene in oakland come mostly coming out of like mills college um and did a lot of playing with people from there for a few years. I haven't, haven't been super involved as of late, but, um, that was really inspiring to me when I first got out there. Um, and then there was, there still is a really great analog studio, like mostly tape studio that I started getting involved with. Um, that would, they just had a lot of people who would come in with songs and no bands. Um, and th- I somehow met a couple engineers there and they would call me to play bass on those, uh, sessions, which started for me, it started kind of like, I was already really curious about production and recording and was doing a little bit on garage band at that time. And kind of like, like feeling my way in the dark through like, you know, what, cause I didn't, I didn't learn any of that in college and, uh, just kind of came upon it out of necessity from like bands that I was in yeah. being like, Oh, we need a recording. And I know that there's software that's accessible. I just, you know, <laughs> haven't learned how to use it yet. Um, right, right. but getting to do these sessions just as like a hired musician in a really nice analog studio and kind of looking over everybody's shoulder and watching like people who I'd call like engineers who are also producers uh, use really powerful equipment and just asking a lot of questions and 
yeah. trying to figure out how to incorporate some of that knowledge and slowly acquiring some nice pieces of gear to, to make that happen. Um, right. I jumped ahead quite a bit there, but those were all the different types. Was, of it, st- was it a lot in between <laughs> those two? T- <laughs> well, I, I feel like everything is still ongoing, you know, like I still, yeah. I still, I mean, I haven't been to a jam session obviously this year, so like since March, but I still, I can't wait for things to open up and I can't wait to go, you know, hang at a jam, like a jazz session. And, um, so I feel like it's, for me, all of those things are kind of constantly evolving. Um, and I feel like it, they're like never ending projects, you know, there's always more to learn about improvising and recording and uh, yeah. but, but the, those were kind of my initial avenues into the music scene in the Bay area. Yeah. It's, that's a, it's a really different, I'm, I'm sure it's a really difficult adjustment, like to be out and playing because there's, there's different kinds of musicians. There's the people who are like the bedroom producers and they're not as social or out there as much. Yeah. And it sounds like you're much more engaged in the community and out there playing in different projects and doing stuff live. And then all of a sudden, boom, March. Yeah. Done. <laughs> yeah. You know, totally. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a big adjustment. I mean, um, I feel really lucky to have the means to record myself now and to and Brigine and um because I I feel like there's no lack of uh tools to capture inspiration in this time which just feels so crucial for me for staying um balanced and you know like sane for lack of better word um no definitely but definitely adjusting to just like the lack of social activity has been interesting (laughs) to say the least. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I've, I've just been, um, yeah, spending a lot more time in, in the studio and doing a lot more writing and, uh, have found, been lucky enough to find some work with a podcast doing, you know, writing and producing music for them, um, which has been great and a huge learning experience. Um, but I'm very much looking forward to being able to go out and socialize and play music for people in the same room. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Getting back to that, that sort of some sort of semblance of normality. I was driving with my, my family going up through Queens to go, I forget where we were going, but we were driving on this road and this was in the summer windows are down and there was a jazz band playing outside front of a cafe. Cause you know, they weren't doing the indoor thing and people were sitting outside. Yeah. It was guitar, upright bass and drums. Yeah. But hearing it live, I slowed the car down and pulled off to the side and we just sat there for a little bit and like listened. And it, it was such a, you know, it's like, nostalgia you know what I mean of like, oh yeah live music amazing yeah yeah I, I somehow still haven't had a live music experience like since the you know lockdown started um it was just you know like 
uh, we were in the Bay for April, May, June, and half of July, and things were still just so tight that there just wasn't much happening. And, you know, we were seeing both Brigitte's parents and my, my parents. So we were just trying to stay close to home. And, uh, and then we went to LA to see her mom and now, and then Arizona and New Mexico, we've been like moving around every few months, but somehow we've just like missed any opportunities to actually experience some live music and yeah. uh that sounds so joyful i'm glad you had that experience <laughs> yeah. well i mean it was maybe three minutes yeah but still. It, it, you know, yeah. It rekindled that fire totally. but it sucks it's like if i'm sure you can relate this if you are part of this society and you care about people who are older than you who yeah. are kind of at risk you're, you're screwed i mean you yeah. gotta be lockdown yeah and we have like we wanted to see our family you know my wife is her family is the only people in the country like her parents are the only people you know who live in our country and she's very tight with her family so we we didn't want to put them at risk so we were on hard lockdown for like a long time you know totally and it's just it's rough it's it's almost like the more you care the harder it is you know and you see people going around who are just like whatever no matter and it just it kind of drives you crazy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's kind of maddening to to see the like blatant just lack of empathy, I guess, or like lack of acknowledgement for what what your actions could and probably will mean for for others, you know. But yeah. It's it's been an interesting Not only for health too, but for livelihood. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like yeah. if if you're a musician and you make a lot of money playing out, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's 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 your livelihood too. Yeah. At stake. Totally, yeah. And and the the more we disregard the the guidelines, the longer this goes on, supposedly, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's just it's an interesting time to be a human and it's definitely an interesting time to be in any sector of like service entertainment industry um yeah yeah i've yeah i feel very fortunate to have found some work and definitely know a lot of people who are struggling um well not only that you i mean you had a new you had a record come out yeah why don't we talk about that yeah totally so when did you start recording that so that that was also done a year, like a, a year before it was released in October of 2019. Um, and yeah, I started uh, writing for it in the summer and was really, really happy to get everybody on board. It seemed like an impossible task because there's a lot of people on the album and um I found a weekend in October to make it work and recorded it um, in Oakland at Tiny Telephone, the studio that I was alluding to earlier. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was it it's, live? Uh, the basics were live. Yeah. Um, yeah. We yeah we recorded drums, bass, guitar, road synthesizer, percussion um, for all the songs in two days, and then did um had i took like two weeks with it and brought 
we like transferred the sessions from tape to Pro Tools and I brought everything home. Made like a couple edits, like not like to perfect things, but to just kind of create some transitions um, and did a bunch of overdubs on synthesizers and some more percussion stuff like that and then had two more days of overdubs with the with some string players who play on three or four tracks and some flute and um and then we mixed it the following two days so the whole thing happened in my mind really quickly having worked on like a lot of you know more like indie rock and uh stuff that's more in the pop sphere that can i don't know Something about doing stuff at home, when everything's at home, it's a little harder to call it done, in my experience. Right. So having this like built-in framework of these six studio days and working with an engineer that I is one of my best friends and I know and really trust, um, it felt like it came together super quick. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I've, I got in touch with Ropadope and... January when the album was done and the only time they could put it out was October. So I was like, oh, I guess, you know, this is pre COVID and pandemic. I was like, yeah, that, that feels fine. I can be patient with this. I put a lot of energy into making it and want to, want to see it get out there, uh, with, with a team bigger than myself to promote it. Right, so, right. uh, yeah, yeah. It was kind of surreal to release it in October though. Uh, in such a different world, you know, than the one that right. it came from. Yeah, isn't that weird how yeah. that, that delay happens, you know? It's not yeah. instantaneous, so things just look differently, uh, Yeah, you know, over time. I mean, that stuff happens all the time, I guess. It, yeah. your, your creative output's constantly being reframed. I, I just thought about it today when I was watching all that stuff. You know, I had a, a, a show in Zurich in 2006, and one of the biggest main pieces of it was a mm-hmm. giant painting of the Capitol building. Wow. And that looks different right now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like these things look different in relation to, you know, what happens. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting that way to, to like hold the things you make against the backdrop of whatever the, the time is and, yeah. and see how the feeling compares. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, like a year between the time an album is done and released doesn't seem that crazy to me. It's just been such a wild year that it feels like such yeah. a different world. <laughs> yeah. Matter has been condensed in that year, right? Yeah. It's not usually quite so dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but it's a great record. I mean, and it, it's gotten really great uh, response from what I see. So that must be, that must feel good. Oh, it's, it's been great. It's, it felt really cathartic to release it. And, uh, I've been really encouraged by people supporting it and, um, and listening. It's reached way more people than I thought it would have. So it's, it feels great. Um, and yeah, having, having been a close collaborator with, bands and different artists for a long time it feels good to release something under my own name that's more uh 
a singular vision. Um, yeah, it's been super encouraging. Feels feels good. Yeah, let, let's uh, let's talk about the vision. I mean, a lot of stuff is flying through my head when I listen to that record. You know, there's certain just, you know, and I was thinking about it as like, I don't even know if I can place, because I've listened to a lot of jazz music in my day and I've, you know, I used to be a jazz DJ in college and cool. uh, there's certain stuff I know really well yeah. and there's stuff that I've just heard, uh, and, you know, and I, you know, there's like visions of Donald Byrd and, you know, cool. and, and uh, there's, there's like, there's a certain era I guess that I don't know that well of all the sort of, you know, the records that came out in that period, but it has that vibe of, to me, and I'm probably dead wrong, (laughs) but it it seems like it had the vibe of when jazz was like transitioning a bit from, you know, the ex the out exploration of post bop into kind of like city life or something. Mm. And I had it like, it has a feeling like you might be walking down the streets of Chicago in 1979. <laughs> you know, so, cool. There's a certain reverb or kind of like a air in the sound that feels like that kind of exploration. Obviously it's not like a one-to-one. It just, it made me think of that kind of, you know, vibe or feeling. Oh, that's, that's cool. That, that feels good to hear. Um, yeah, I was I was definitely um super inspired by like uh Lonnie Listen Smith for the music on this album yep. and Alice Coltrane. Just that kind of like early seventies to mid you know, early to late just like seventies jazz where I think like the studio started to become a little less um transparent in its role in the music where it wasn't just mm-hmm. about capturing a band and its performance and you know similar to pop music around the 60s where it's just started to become more of a an instrument you know um and yeah i I tried to incorporate as much of that as i could and think about that when i was writing it and also just try to get players involved that i felt would kind of uh just bring like a lot of intention in what they played i mean that's that's a pretentious way to say it but like use a lot of space i guess i always love musicians who use a lot of space and that's not always the default for jazz musicians especially um yeah but i wanted to write songs that left a lot of breath and like room for improvisation but also encourage the band to leave a lot of space so that we'd have more options afterward and how we treated the sounds and uh just like the creating just like more space to create a world with reverb and with delay and with overdubs strings and stuff like that um so those were some of the places I was coming from but yeah like musical influences definitely Lonnie Listen Smith Alice Coltrane um Charles Stepney who's a producer who uh is from Chicago did a lot of stuff with like both like Earth Wind and Fire and uh Rotary Connection and also like David Axelrod another 70s kind of LA producer 
did a lot of stuff like really cinematic with like strings and uh but with like a super funky rhythm section um yeah those were those were kind of the worlds I was trying to channel and then you know without trying to like rip any of them off or like still try to bring them together in a way that didn't feel like a throwback album necessarily so for sure yeah that's that's kind of where i was coming from or my vision board yeah the mood board yeah when you're when you're collaborating with all those people um i imagine they're you know they're they're catching the vibe of what you're writing, but at the same time they're probably bringing their oh absolutely a little bit of their flavor, right? I mean yeah. Jeff is Jeff. Jeff, so yeah. The Jeff stuff you're getting Jeff. I mean, yeah. When I asked Jeff to do the record before I had written anything, because I actually I asked everybody in the band before anything was written because I just wanted to like I know everybody in that group really well musically and tried to write with them in mind. I mean, especially Jeff, like he's, he's been a influence to me since I, like I said, since I was 12 years old. Um, so I was just so elated that he was up for, you know, coming to do the session and it was, it was a dream come true to be able to write with him in mind. Um, and, but yeah, to answer, to answer your question, absolutely. Everybody, brought their thing to it and uh i tried to write with with their thing in mind as much as i could yeah yeah it's pretty great i I was thinking of that too uh i guess that city feeling because you know that uh bobby humphrey's record the uh is it blacks and blues yeah the name of the record love that record yeah man that is, I I don't know if it's underrated, but I think it's underrated. I <laughs> totally, I came to that but one. What a late. what a record! Amazing, man. Yeah, it's so it's so it's got so many things to it. It's so soulful and melodic and virtuosic, and it's like I feel like you can listen to that coming from like any side of music, whether you're a musician and a technician or just like casual listener who like didn't know they liked jazz you know it's just i feel like it appeals to a lot of people because it's just such universal music to me for sure and it it, it i think it definitely captures some social activism in there too i mean there's you know a real kind of topical i mean i wasn't really conscious back then i mean you know as a young kid back then but I imagine based on, you know, race relations and the society then not dissimilar to, you know, your record coming out when it did and what's going on in our world. You know what I mean? It it has a connection for me. I put that connection together of, you know, some sort of uh, the sound of, you know, people in the street or a a sort of um, Mm. a consciousness about us as a society. And I know that's mm-hmm. a heavy narrative, the place over the music, but I do think that some of the lineage of the music that your record is kind of in dialogue with was happening. That stuff was happening at that time. You know what I mean? So it has that relationship. I don't know necessarily people are going to hear that or that it's got to be placed on the record, but I found it compelling, you know, that, that gap mm-hmm. and then that new conversation that happens between the social events of the time and then, you know, and when it, 
drops, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you're spot on with like the, all the music I just referenced definitely coming out of a highly political social time. Uh, and I think it's impossible not to take, um, to hear something new and, and hold it against the backdrop of whatever the social climate is. Um, I can't say that I was specifically channeling that when I wrote it, but, uh, it feels, um, I mean, it, it came out when it did and, and it is what it is and it's coming from those roots. So I, you know, I, I would feel humbled to put any of that on it. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's not a cause and effect though, but I think it, you know, you can do something creatively that resonates with something that happens after that or something like, yeah, I did, I did a painting, this diptych of two buildings that were, I don't know. I found the buildings from like some public housing project that they were imploding and it was like two of the same buildings, like collapsing in a huge Uh painting. And I lived in 60 Broadway in Brooklyn and, you know, view of lower Manhattan. And this was like, you know, a couple months before 9-11, that painting's hanging in my living room. We see 9-11 happen and it's two buildings going down. And I mean, it's just, it's not like I made those paintings some sort of premonition or something. Right. But it's certainly changed the vibe of that work. Yeah, definitely. And similar to what you were saying about that, um, the piece with the Capitol building on it. And it's, it's, it's so interesting how our perspective of different art and music shifts with the times. Um, yeah, it's wild. And, and, and like, I feel this, especially with comedy, how you can like, you could sometimes be like, dang, that didn't age well, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, totally like, <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's probably way more yeah. of that stuff happening than, yeah, absolutely. Watch any movie from the fifties or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. That part. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not as, it's usually not as explicit, especially with, I think like instrumental music or, or visual art. Right. Uh, it's probably not as cringeworthy, but I, I feel that, with like production aesthetics too, you know, not, not from a social lens necessarily, but like there are just certain eras of production that feel so like funny to me sometimes, like, and glorious for the same reasons. But I don't know, like when I was in college and learning jazz and like studying it, the, I couldn't stand listening to like ECM seventies jazz stuff with reverb and delay and, I was just, yeah, yeah. I was like way more into, you know, like 60s Miles Davis stuff, like before he went electric and just kind of right. like that production. I don't think I was really as conscious of production aesthetics at that point. I just knew it didn't speak to me. But then, you know, yeah. 10 years later, I like want to make a record where we dub out the roads on every song or what? <laughs> yeah, it's just... <laughs> I don't know what what you, our our tastes change and grow, you know. Absolutely, and, or, or or meld into different arenas. Yeah, and and sometimes that's informed by, I think, you know, consciously or not, it's informed by the social climate we're in, and um, whether or not you can draw those lines so clearly is hard to say. But 
it's it's very interesting how the perspective changes and changes what a work can feel yeah, like and we you. change yeah 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 i had many different uh experiences of on the corner like uh, the first yeah. time i heard it was like what yeah and then you know as i got a little older and i was like oh okay and yeah. then you know it, and then at some point you're like man this is, this is the best you know, yeah totally kind of, it's yeah cycles of life i guess or something oh man i have the same thing with that exact record that's like i i remember just not being into it the first time i heard it i was like i don't get it like it just doesn't do anything for me and now it's like yeah you know one of my favorite miles davis records for sure um but uh i would i would guess that if you listen to it every day for two weeks straight you would yeah. go back to like get this record out of my <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah you'd be like all right that's enough that's enough yeah like yeah <laughs> the, have you ever seen the movie koyana scotsi yeah yeah i love that one the that first the- time i saw that i love that movie the first time i saw it though i was younger and i was like what the f-? like this is it it was felt like torture yeah and then <laughs> yeah, i saw totally. it later and then i totally got it you know or maybe philip glass or like steve wright could be like that for someone where the at the, at the beginning they're just like what is this you absolutely know? yeah that movie came to me at the right time uh or i came to it at the right time it was like Mid, that's that's a good match then. yeah mid-college <laughs> like getting into meditation and minimalism and someone's like oh have you ever checked out coin Saudi? it's like no it's like oh my gosh what have i been missing but i can <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it's a time and a place for that and i can imagine all sorts of wrong times in your life <laughs> or not wrong but <laughs> just times where it wouldn't resonate Right, like uh, like uh, Friday the Thirteenth when you're seven years old. Yeah, absolutely. Might not be the best time. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> a recipe for trauma for sure. <laughs> My parents didn't seem to think it was an issue, but I had. <laughs> you know, it's all about timing in life. Yeah, yeah. All right, so top three live shows that you jazz shows that you would rank. Oh, your top man. three. No, no pressure. Yeah, and yeah. We can always go back I, and overdub different uh, like yeah i'm not gonna overthink it because there's just no right answer here um but uh alice coltrane at uh, you saw alice coltrane live yeah at the unit when i was at the university of michigan it was one of her last shows it was at the concert hall there um roy haynes was playing drums uh nice ravi coltrane and charlie hayden who's always been or for a very long time, been my favorite upright bass player. And it was just transcendent music. It was so beautiful. She was mostly playing like, uh, Wurlitzer organ and synthesizer. And it was just something else. Like I, I just felt like I have a harp on stage. No, no. Yeah. Those are a bitch to carry on. Yeah. (laughs) No, (laughs) I would hope that bring a tractor trailer with you. She would have it. Oh yeah, definitely. I, oh man. Yeah. I had a friend in college who was a harpist and what, like helping her, which didn't happen that often, but witnessing her move that thing was just, you need two people at least and a big vehicle. Um, but yeah, that, that was amazing. That was an incredible show. Um, I actually, the same year I saw Sonny Rollins at the same venue, part of the same, you know, collegiate college experience or like college, uh, nice. 
music series, um, which trio. No, it was, uh, it was quartet with Bobby Broom on guitar and, um, uh, what is his name? Kobe Watkins on drums. And which is crazy because I used to go see them play at that same steakhouse that I was telling you about in Evanston. Um, it's funny. It's a state. It's what they call it. It's like called Pete Miller's steakhouse. It's like, I could imagine it being a terrible gig actually from like the perspective of being a professional. You're just like, damn, I have to go play at Pete Miller's again. But for me <laughs> being in, in high school, it was like, they'll let me in and I could like sit five feet away from the band and, and they had whoever was booking that place had an align a line on some amazing musicians. Um, so I used to yeah, go. That's a, that sounds like a good lineup coming through the steakhouse. Yeah, like yeah, they ended up being in Sonny Rollins as you know one of the later versions of his band. Um, I remember that being incredible. Also, because I feel like it kind of opened me up to. I loved Sonny Rollins, like his stuff, like his trio stuff. Um, live at the Vanguard. The Vanguard one, right? Yeah. Oh, oh man. That That's, record. It's so good. Night in Tunisia, one of the best, one of the best, like rawest. It's just raw, that record. It's, yeah, it's amazing. And and Wilbur Ware, the bass player on that, is is like one of my second, he's him and Charlie Hayden, probably my biggest influences on the instrument. Um, yeah. I just love his approach and he's he's an undersung hero of the bass, I think. Um, what about Mr. PC? Oh, totally. He was he was a strong influence, especially in college. Like, he's just. Uh, I mean, yeah, can't can't say enough about him. He's in, he's incredible. He like I feel like he developed the bebop language for the instrument, or like adapted it to the yeah. instrument. Maybe maybe the first one of the first to do that. Um, yeah, that bass on top record, it's it's a beautiful example of a bass. Like there's not, a lot, I feel like there's not a ton of bass records where the bass is just, you know, that one is. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and then third, I'm, I can't, it's really hard to pick a last favorite jazz show, but one that's popping in my head right now is, uh, I saw Nicole Mitchell's black earth ensemble at, um, the velvet lounge in Chicago, probably like, 2011 and that was with yeah. jeff jeff parker um josh abrams is the bassist uh this guy i think his name's david boykins and they i think they just played free the whole time but it just i don't know it was something else like the way she plays the yeah. flute and directs the band i had never heard a flute played like that she has all these really cool extended techniques and um you know that was before i'd heard of bobby humphrey but definitely has a lot of that language too just like soulful straight ahead jazz mixed in this free improvised context and then you know getting to hear jeff in that context and like just the fact that he always sounds like himself no matter whether he's playing with tortoise or uh playing like straight ahead jazz or yeah. imp- you know doing his thing or improvising I don't, it it just blew my mind to hear him in that context and it's just i don't know one of those right place right time 
in your life things that just really clicked for me. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a good gig. I mean, David Boykins put out a couple of great records. Mm. He was like pretty energetic. And then um and Josh Abrams, I mean, uh, did you ever see Town and Country play? I never saw them, but I love that band. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to Ben on this podcast before, you know, Ben Vita. Oh, cool. We talked. Yeah, he's a really great musician and artist. Interesting yeah. guy. But yeah. yeah, their music was cool. It was like nothing else, you know? Totally. Yeah, it's like, yeah, another project in that kind of scene of musicians or bands that we were talking about that just has such a yeah. unique sound and just like melds together a lot of influences that feel important to me. Um, For sure. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Um, new song? I mean, I know yeah. you have this new record coming out that's already done. With the yeah. Machine. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing some, we've been like trying to get uh, like air quote live set together uh, for like some streaming stuff and just kind of figure out how we're going to perform it when, I mean, for ourselves right now, uh, but hopefully right. for when the time comes that we can. Um, and then we've been doing a bit of writing, uh, working on a few new songs. I've been trying to write most mornings, just, uh, working on a kind of like getting an idea of what a next solo record for me will feel like. Um, yeah. and kind of imagining the process too. Cause it felt like for the last one, the process was like really clear for me. I wanted to make demos that had a vibe to them and then just like make charts and ditch the demos and have people perform it. Um, but given the time we're in, it doesn't feel like that's, it's super conducive to that kind of a process. So, um, right. I'm kind of trying to figure out a more, uh, I don't know. I'll probably end up playing and, more instruments on it and it'll be there. I don't think there'll be like a big live session, but also trying to figure out how I can still get some other people to play on it and make it feel cohesive at the same time. Right. Um, so just, yeah, uh, maybe just go Chicago footwork. You could just do it all. <laughs> yeah. Be like, you know, I mean, that's a vibe. Just the beats. <laughs> <laughs> that's a vibe for sure. <laughs> I mean, these guys can pull it off in the pandemic. It's, I, yeah, I know. I know. It's yeah. I think like, uh, yeah, I've been, I don't know. I've been doing like a ton of just like beats since the pandemic started just cause that's always been like a, not always, but in the last five years, that's been a comfortable home base place to just like make things and have them feel like they can stand alone as what they are. And, um, yeah. Yeah, trying to incorporate a little bit more of that mentality into this next album. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how the lo-fi beats thing seemed in this, in a tumultuous time, to seem to really take off. And oh. People were just looking for some, you know, some chill out stuff. You know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's definitely, it feels good a lot of times. I mean, I yeah. think, yeah. Yeah. And as, especially in the pandemic when we're spending so much time alone. For sure. Well, um, why don't you just share like where people can hear your stuff, your projects and do the, you know, the promo thing. Let people know. Absolutely. A lot yeah. of artists who listen to this, 
you know, they might not be familiar. So, you know, let them know where they can check out your stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, so my project is Dougie Stew. You can check it out on Bandcamp, DougieStew.bandcamp.com. Uh, the album is called Familiar Future. You can hear it on all the streaming platforms as well. Um, and then I have a project with my partner, Brigine, who is an amazing percussionist and singer, uh, songwriter. Um, and that is just under Brigine. We have an album coming out in February on Ghostly and a first album that came out a couple summers ago. Uh, called Walkie Talkie, which is, again, available everywhere. I like to promote Bandcamp because it's a... I like the culture that they're promoting for music supporters. Um, and for then, sure. yeah, a number of other collaborations that I'll, I'll spare the details on because I'm sure nobody's sitting there with their notepad, but uh, I post about them on <laughs> social media, so... You can check me out. Oh, yeah, follow there. you on there. You can get yeah. that info, right? Yeah, on Instagram. Uh, it's kind of the only one I'm active on, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been a pleasure to, to talk about these projects because, uh, yeah, it feels good to talk about the process and influences and all yeah, these things. Yeah, well, since I heard the record, I was I was very excited to talk to you about all this stuff, so... I thank you very much for taking the time out. It was really cool to to Zoom meet. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much for having me. 